Welcome to Legally Green, the podcast on sustainability's formative effects on law. Hi, welcome to the second episode of Legally Green, the law and sustainability podcast. I'm Zuza and with me there is Rob. Hello. And Hannah. Hello everyone. In the previous episodes we have explored the theory of the rights of nature a theory that advocates the acknowledgement of autonomous, independent of any person's rights of natural objects, such as trees or rivers. Yep, and today we are going to go a step further into a more practical influence of sustainability on the development of EU law, um, so the case for sustainable finance. Um, an idea that recognizes that financial decisions have apparently the potential to positively influence and shape the sustainability of businesses, economies, and therefore also the planet. For me, this seems like an almost paradoxical idea. Finance is something that for me really connects with um, with profit, yet made in a sustainable way that is in a way that takes into consideration the interests of the future. Um, that uses our limited resources and that also includes financial resources in such a way that leaves the future needs plausible to be satisfied. I don't really understand how this may be reconciled, the, the profit and the future, but I have also zero previous experience with the idea. So could you please explain briefly what sustainable finance is? Uh, sure. Sustainable finance is exactly what its name suggests. It's finance made more sustainable. It is a subset of traditional financing that essentially revolves around the idea that when making investment decisions in the financial sector, sustainability should also be taken into account and this in turn should lead to more long-term investments in sustainable economic activities and projects. Uh, put simply, sustainable finance means investing money where it will make the world a better place. It's a way of investing that makes profits and the planet's well-being align. But isn't that a very broad scope? You know, sustainability is a, is a term broadly defined in itself, without even going deep into the definitions, just by looking at the sustainable development goals or by reference to Amartya Sen and Martha Nussbaum. Um, sustainability is all about the environment and humans and societies and their future. If I try to refer it to finance, how do the investment bodies understand the idea of making financial decisions considering sustainability as a whole? Uh, yes, sustainable finance does have a broad scope, a very broad scope indeed. Um, sustainable finance is often understood as encompassing any investment decision that takes into account the ESG factors of the economic activity project. Um, ESG is a term you might have come across already, now, the letters in the acronym aren't there by coincidence. Each one of them stands for one of the pillars of sustainable finance. E stands for the environmental factors, S for social factors, whereas G is for governance. ESG encompasses thus a variety of considerations. How much good a company does in these three spheres, the environmental, social and governance related, is supposed to be of great significance to the company itself as well as its investors. And this is what lies at the heart of sustainable finance. Mm, uh, could you give some examples of ESG factors? Uh, sure. Environmental considerations might include climate change mitigation and adaptation, uh, as well as the environment in the broader sense. For example, uh, the preservation of biodiversity, pollution prevention, uh, carbon regulation, renewable energy, uh, even the circular economy. So correct me if I'm wrong, but does that mean that while uh, giving out the loan, the banks should consider whether the aim of the loan will be in agreement with biodiversity? I mean, for instance, does that mean uh, that when a mining company wants to take a loan for a construction of a new mining site, the bank should take the effects of deforestation and related environmental consequences of the construction into consideration while taking the decision whether or not to grant the loan? Yes, you got it right. This is exactly what it means. Uh, now let me move on to the second pillar, that is the social considerations. 
Social considerations can refer to issues of inequality, financial inclusion, labour relations, uh, investment in human capital and human communities, also community displacement, health and safety, and finally, uh, human rights issues. Oh, okay. So, uh, so frankly, it covers almost all areas of social integrity, uh, which still seems quite well, quite broad to me and and rather abstract. So, could you perhaps elaborate on a case or maybe an example of social consideration in a concrete financial decision? Of course, mm. it is obvious that prior to investing, the investor must first assess whether the company is worth investing in. Thus. Prior to deciding to finance a business, a socially responsible investor would assess whether a company is worth investing in by taking into consideration whether, for instance, uh, the company donates a percentage of its profits to the local community, uh, if the workplace conditions reflect a high regard for the employee's health and safety, uh, or if, on the contrary, an unethical advantage is taken of the workforce or even uh, the customers themselves. When conducting due diligence regarding a company, uh, the investor may use pre-investment questionnaires to uh, specifically identify and understand the relevant risks. There are many examples of social factors commonly used by, uh, for instance, venture funds, include diversity metrics in the leadership team, uh, diversity metrics among uh, the employees, or simply the working environment and culture. Furthermore, nowadays, some responsible investors have moved even further than just including the social factors in their assessments. Some investors specifically seek out companies widely known to promote ethical and socially conscious themes such as diversity, social justice, uh, fighting against racial, gender or sexual discrimination. Uh, finally, let's move on to the third pillar, G, which stands for governance. And this pillar relates to the governance of both the public and private institutions. Uh, it might include management structures, employee relations, issues of corruption, reputation uh, and executive uh, remuneration. Last but not least, uh, the governance factor also plays a fundamental role in ensuring the inclusion of social and environmental considerations in the decision-making process. Crucially, it also encompasses transparency when it comes to any ESG-related risks that may have an impact on the financial system. Through the appropriate governance of financial and corporate actors, the system aims at um, the mitigation of such risks. Yeah, the, the governance part is the easiest for me to understand. Essentially, if a body is making a decision, then it should consider the effects of that decision on the general structure and functioning of proper governance. This, this makes sense. Uh, transparency, inclusion or lack of corruption and um, are after all the absolute basis of lawful and prosperous functioning of uh, capitalist institutions in a democratic society. Uh, I believe you can see now that sustainable investing clearly covers a very wide range of diverse activities. Uh, investing in green energy, energy project, projects uh, demonstrating social values such as uh, social inclusion or even good governance shown by engaging more women on corporate boards can all be part of ESG. Okay, I, I see. And sustainable finance uh, is then all about investment in a way that contributes to the sustainable development both of the company uh, as well as society as a whole. The concept is clear to me and maybe even seems obvious now. Assuming that the European Union is at least in principle a free market economy based on the free market ideas and following this, this capitalist theory at least to a certain extent, isn't it in the interest of the companies to consider sustainability a priority by itself? Otherwise, they would not be focused on their own future and that could be absolutely disastrous long term, no? Um. You see, traditionally, the focus of finance was simply to make profit. Then, uh, the earlier forms of sustainable finance still emphasised making profit, but this time with the caveat that investing should be done with a so-called green conscience. However, 
since fairly recently a transition has taken place uh, and sustainable finance as we understand it today to set the stage is given to smart green investments ones that combine profits with solutions to ESG issues. Uh, an important and related term here, one that I think you need to understand, is responsible investment. Uh, responsible investment is an investment strategy that integrates the ESG factors into investment analysis and the related decisions. Instead of focusing simply on the short-term profit as the only definition of value, responsible investment takes account of the ESG factors and the direct impact on the financial value of an investment. It is a strategy that emphasizes uh, the long-term profits in terms of sustainability. And unsurprisingly, for the reasons that you have mentioned, responsible investment has quickly moved from being an outlier in the asset management world to being an issue of global importance. I would even dare to say that it has become a priority in various political, legal and market agendas, which I will soon illustrate. Okay, so what you say is that sustainable, responsible finance is not really that new. Because what I mean is that I agree with Zuza. Um, in my opinion, making a profit has always been directly linked to the assessment of the long-term perspective of, of the target itself. Uh, otherwise, it would simply be not profitable to invest it in. Um, so, so, so is it new or, or how, how does it look like? Uh, surprisingly, that wasn't always that obvious for everyone. But when it comes to sustainable finance, as I have just described it, it might not be completely new in the sense that it has never been thought of in the previous century. Uh, but it definitely introduces new approaches to doing already existing things. Uh, it facilitates sustainability because by acknowledging the risks that unsustainable behavior creates for financial markets and financial stability, uh, take the most obvious climate change, uh, it makes the market actors themselves start to form part of, of the response in the transition towards a greener global economy. And in that um, in that idea, who are the key players, um, the ones who have the greatest influence, power, or the greatest interest, so to say? I would divide the uh, key players into three main groups. Uh, first, we have the various corporations with the climate funds and corporate social responsibility related initiatives and investments. Then, as a uh, second group, there are the banks and other financial institutions that can mobilize support for sustainable project, projects by using new methods of financing, such as green bonds or carbon trading. Uh, they can offer financial products that, uh, whose terms are linked with the company's ESG performance. Um, let's use sustainability-linked loans as an example. Uh, for the sustainability uh, linked loans, borrowers can link the sustainability strategy and goals to their financing. The loans are so structured as to allow the borrowers to use the funds for general corporate purposes, but with the cost of financing directly linked to specific ESG performance targets. Uh, for instance, the interest rate can be so linked to a company's ESG performance that uh, the better the ESG performance, uh, the more attractive the loan terms. Uh, green bonds are another example. They are fundamentally the same as conventional bonds. Uh, they are also debt instruments that represent loans made by an investor to an organization to finance a project with um, the investor receiving interest payments throughout the loan terms and eventually the principal amount at the end of the loan's life. Uh, what makes a green bond green is uh, the underlying project. project. Um, green bonds are issued exclusively to finance projects that have a positive impact on the environment. What makes them even more attractive for the investors is that, depending on the uh, jurisdiction, they may offer tax incentives, uh, such as tax exem exemptions and uh, tax credits. Finally, uh, the third most significant group of key players comprises uh, the national governments, uh, financial regulators and the central banks. Uh, they all have significant roles to play in sustainable finance for they determine 
the level of public funding earmarked for green investment and the level of institutional support for these schemes. Um, last but not least, uh, stock exchanges can also specialise in green and sustainable investments. Okay, so we uh, basically have the stakeholders who have as their concern climate and social is- issues and such, then we have the banks who have the actual power and resources uh, to make these uh, sustainable goals attainable, and then we have uh, the financing structures. Uh, I think I got it. Um, I think we're pretty much ready for some case studies uh, to give this uh, interesting idea a concrete place in our reality. Uh, and here they come. Uh, EU is definitely one of the best, if not the best, example of sustainable sustainability's increasing influence in financial regulation. Sustainable finance uh, has a key role to play in delivering on the European Green Deal that was already discussed in the previous episode of our podcast. If you haven't listened to it yet, we strongly encourage you to do so. Um, Just as a reminder for the listeners, uh, the European Green Deal includes a number of policy objectives and is basically a growth strategy aimed at making Europe at the first climate neutral continent by 2050 and meeting the EU's international climate and sustainability related commitments, including uh, the commitments under the Paris Climate Agreement. What is important for sustainable finance um, is that on the 14th of January 2020, as part of the Green Deal, uh, the Commission presented the European Green Deal Investment Plan. Um, This plan is supposed to mobilise at least 1 trillion euros worth of sustainable investments over the next decade. It is supposed to create uh, the right environment, or as the EU phrases it, an enabling framework that will facilitate and stimulate both the public and private investments needed for the transition to a green, inclusive and competitive economy. Uh, To put it simply, what the EU aims to do is channel private investment into the transition to a climate-neutral, climate-resilient, resource-efficient and fair economy. It wants to make the private investment a complement to public money in all of these sustainability-minded endeavours. And to this end, uh, for the past five years, the Commission has been developing a comprehensive policy agenda and sustainable finance, uh, an agenda comprising various action plans and strategies. Um, to name a few, there is the Action Plan on Financing uh, Sustainable Growth and the development of a renewed sustainable finance strategy and the new strategy for financing that transition to a sustainable economy. Okay, so... Um so I see that there is a lot of legislation, serious legislation on the table, but I'm wondering um, what makes the investment or a project a positive environmental impact? Like, Imagine that I, I want to invest in a company creating, for instance, a huge warehouse or some kind of infrastructure. And does the mere fact that they call such a project green because, for example, they use green building materials or because they will hold a monthly event there for employees to raise awareness of the importance of sustainability, um, automatically make it a positive environmental impact. Does the fact that it will have a significant carbon footprint due to the entire supply chain required for such a project uh, becomes irrelevant in the light of its green purpose? So who sets the boundaries and what are the boundaries? Um, So could you give some examples of what the EU legislators find as environmental sustainable activities? I'm simply very curious how flexible such definitions are and how the standardization of such notions take place, especially that lack of consistent frameworks, definitions and metrics is one of the uh, biggest critiques of sustainable finance in general. Uh, yes, standardization is of great importance and this is why um, the Commission has already launched some legislative measures implementing mm. the policy objectives I have just listed. Uh, among others, there is the so-called taxonomy, a very hot topic in the media lately. Um, as the name suggests, the taxonomy establishes a unified uh, EU classification system of sustainable economic activities. 
it aims at solving the problems that you have just mentioned, Rob, uh, for it sets out to create a consistent framework of definitions and precise criteria determining whether an investment can be labelled sustainable. Uh, by designing the green taxonomies and frameworks about sustainable finance, such as the EU taxonomy regulation and the EU green bond standard, uh, the EU is really taking a global leading role and the EU framework constitutes the first global comprehensive sustainability framework with a legal underpinning that is, at least in part, mandatory. To be more precise, uh, what the taxonomy does is outline economic sectors and activities that are considered sustainable and all it recognises as green or rather environmentally sustainable uh, economic activities are only those that make a substantial contribution to at least one of the EU's climate and environmental objectives, while at the same time not significantly harming any of the other sustainable objectives and meeting the minimum social safeguards. Uh, furthermore, in addition to the main document, uh, there are the taxonomy uh, delegated acts which establish and more precisely define what it means to make a sustainable contribution and what it means to significantly harm any of the sustainable objectives. These gu guidelines cover over 70 activities and will thus guide investors through the sustainability criteria. Uh, still, uh, one must not forget that uh, the EU taxonomy is not a standalone measure it is complemented by and inextricably bound with two more EU instruments, without whom its effectiveness and the enforcement of the standards would be impossible, uh, let alone seriously hampered. Um, those two instruments are the SFDR, that is Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, and the CSRD, short for Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. These regulations standardise reporting requirements and thus increase transparency uh, when it comes to reporting. By using them, uh, the EU hopes to reduce greenwashing and promote greater accountability. Uh, the two regulations, SFDR and CSRD, are very similar but have different addresses. While the SFDR addresses investors, the CSRD puts pressure on the reporting companies themselves. Uh, as a result of the uh, two regulations, reporting is legally required for approximately 12,000 so-called public interest companies, as well as many more large companies and the financial institutions that offer the relevant investment products. Uh, large companies have to disclose the extent to which their activities um, meet the taxonomy's criteria, meaning the extent to which they can be classified as sustainable in line with the taxonomy's definition. Likewise, uh, financial market participants are also subject to disclosure requirements. Uh, for instance, asset managers are required to disclose their policies at both the firm and product level, while uh, advisors are required to explain how they consider these factors uh, and their uh, advice. Uh, the same applies to financial institutions. Okay, so um, legislation is on the table. Uh, that's good. It, it looks like um, like if it were to, to bring some order and clarity. Um, I have one question. How large must a large company be? A very good question. Uh, to be classified as a large company under the CSRD, um, the company must meet at least two of the following three conditions, which are a balance sheet total of 20 million euros, a net turnover of 40 million euros, and or uh, more than 250 employees during the financial year. Well, that is uh, That is a lot. Uh, it may have both uh, advantages and uh, drawbacks, I think. Uh, it definitely supports the the free market idea of not really constraining the smallest companies uh, since they have a less significant impact, I guess. 
But then uh, also from the point of view of sustainability itself, this is a, a kind of safe move. Legislating, especially for the biggest ones, um, then leaving out some portion of, of actors, I may imagine. But uh, one more thing, uh, could you could you tell me what, what the large companies uh, in fact have to report? Uh, of course. If you are a financial market participant offering products in the EU that contain investments pursuing a sustainability-related uh, sustainability objective, uh, you are required to disclose the proportion of underlying investments that are taxonomy-aligned for each relevant product. Uh, meanwhile, if you are a financial market participant offering financial products in the EU that do not promote or pursue sustainability-related objectives, you can either make taxonomy-based disclosures voluntarily or issue a statement that the financial product in question does not take into account the EU criteria. In other words, you can disclose voluntarily or be otherwise forced to explain why you have chosen not to disclose. Comply or explain. It's as simple as that. What we must not forget is that for all the other companies, the criteria are still voluntary, and thus these companies may choose for themselves what to disclose and what not to disclose. Uh, the EU taxonomy is not a mandatory list of economic activities for the investors to invest in, um, nor does it set mandatory requirements or environmental performance for companies or for financial products. Investors are still free to choose what to invest in. This does not, however, mean that the taxonomy has no impact on these financial market participants. Uh, on the contrary, there are many possible voluntary and yet impactful uses of the taxonomy. So there is a clear distinction between the sustainable finance regulations with the focus lying in some form of signifying or, or flagging uh, actions and options considered as sustainable uh, and how enforcement works uh, in other areas of sustainability, uh, ensuring uh, legislations, for instance, uh, criminal liability. Uh, and then um, voluntary users. What do you mean by that? Mm. Before I explain... Uh, the voluntary users, I think it is important to highlight the point you have just made there. It is correct to say that the EU Sustainable Finance Regulation is not about devising new penalties for unsustainable investments as such. Instead, the focus is indeed on the disclosure requirements. The goal is to improve disclosure and provide the data that the investors need when assessing uh, a particular company's sustainability. And it is the very fact that the investors look into the project's sustainability that motivates the companies to strive to be confirmed as sustainable uh, in the first place. You asked me about uh, the voluntary uses of the taxonomy. To give an example, companies can use the criteria of the taxonomy in the environmental and sustainability-related transition strategies and plan. Uh, companies and project promoters can choose to meet the criteria of the EU taxonomy voluntarily with the aim of attracting investors interested in green opportunities. They can voluntarily disclose the extent to which they invest in either expanding or strengthening uh, those of their activities that are already taxonomy aligned uh, or upgrading some of their activities to eventually make them taxonomy aligned. It is important to know that it is not mandatory to be fully aligned yet, uh, but just to indicate which of one's activities are aligned and which are not. Uh, secondly, those on the other side of the deal, uh, the investors, can also choose to use the EU taxonomy criteria in their due, deli due diligence for screening and identifying uh, sustainable investment opportunities, those that will truly help them make a positive environmental impact. What I do not think has been mentioned yet is that the taxonomy truly prioritizes decarbonization uh, for sectors responsible for the majority of greenhouse gas emissions. 
It does so by, uh, among other measures, attempting to define what counts as a substantial contribution to the emission reductions. Uh, the definitions create a new category of benchmarks which will hopefully help investors compare the carbon footprints of uh, investments. Uh, you should know that the, in the introduction of, uh, of the taxonomy uh, before it, many companies uh, complained about the workload and the amount of resources required to make sure uh, that the large number of different standards of sustainability reporting are complied with. The harmonization of these standards in the taxonomy has the potential to make sustainability much easier for them. Oh yeah, it, it might sound surprising after all my critic, um, but I do see that um, from the point of view of, of really legitimacy, uh, this is great, the, the voluntary part. Uh, in a way, giving the option of choosing sustainability if it appears to be uh, desired. Uh, it is another tool that also individuals then may consider, uh, I mean, whether the company, the financial actor uses it, uh, etc., etc. So when making their own choices, um, but as always with freedoms uh, and, and voluntary uses, is it really effective? Um, it's a good question. We must ask ourselves if the efforts to incorporate sustainability into finance are really effective. Does sustainable finance really make the world more sustainable? Um, what effect does it have not just on the regulatory sphere, but on the reality we live in? Mm. First of all, I must note that there are gaping holes, or rather loopholes, in the taxonomy itself. To give an example, there are no incentives for sustainable agriculture. No agricultural practice is included on the list, regardless of uh, agri agriculture's high impact on the environment. Uh, similarly, minimum requirements for investments in the so-called enabling technologies, such as batteries or hydrogen, are even more imprecise than in previous versions of the taxonomy. Uh, still, the biggest controversies are probably that the forestry sector can also be considered sustainable, and the same is true for the nuclear power or gas. But moving to the effectiveness of systemic finance regulation in general, um, without doubt there are many systemic hurdles to the growth and credibility of the system. For example, data measurement and reporting remain a critical consideration. Uh, in the end, ESG is just a set of data. Uh, data is required to make informed decisions when structuring, monitoring uh, or conducting due diligence for a transaction. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the very same data that is often unavailable or lacking in quality, uh, reliability and consistency. It then becomes difficult to assess the true sustainability of an investment when the data is lacking. Uh, nonetheless, at least when it comes to consistency, uh, the EU taxonomy will hopefully help reduce uh, the divergence within the EU. Uh, standardization really is critical. It is necessary to prevent greenwashing as well as to prevent investors from being misled. It is easy to see how divergent views on whether the relevant borrower, lender or other party has strayed too far uh, from the standards um, creates the risk of greenwashing. Okay, so you touched upon a point which is, I think, very crucial, um, especially that you mentioned a greenwashing term, um, which is a huge point of critique of, of the general sustainable finance uh, phenomenon. So, so could you maybe illustrate this? Um, how does it look like? Uh, naturally, this can be clearly illustrated with reference to the controversies around the ESG ratings. Um, ESG ratings are similar to credit ratings, but as opposed to the credit ratings uh, that they mimic, ESG ratings are often based on unregulated data. It is hard to know exactly what a company's ESG score means. Instead, they ESG ratings seem to be subjective. They often do not reveal what risks they are assessing or the methods of rating. 
Uh, yet the companies are in fact rated on certain aspects, but not on others. Furthermore, to make things even more uncertain, the companies are rated from a risk perspective, not from an impact perspective. Uh, Coca-Cola is one of the most famous examples. Uh, the company famously got a double A rating as a top-ranked sustainability company uh, into Elliot due to managing the water risks and uh, looking at the climate and labour policies. But that rating does not account for the fact that the core product, Coca-Cola, is leading to a large and definitely not sustainable public health crisis. Uh, this serves to show how misleading the high ESG ratings can be, especially if they are based on hidden factors that don't account for the overall impact of the business. Uh, such a situation makes it even more difficult for the investors to determine which companies are really sustainable. Uh, this is why standardization is so critical. Uh, it is simply necessary to prevent greenwashing. Otherwise, if the term sustainable is subjectively defined, the entire concept of sustainable finance may easily create the effects that uh, it was supposed to prevent. And it is of no surprise that uh, the ESG is accused of being just a scheme to save capitalism from the influence of sustainability. Oh, I absolutely love the Coca-Cola example. And uh, the whole ESG situation kind of reminds me of uh, another a voluntary labeling policy, um, the Nutri-Score, uh, where olive oil gets a D uh, because, well, it's exclusively fat and then other really controversial nutritionally uh, products like ready-made meals with plenty of trans fats and preservatives get B or C, so higher than olive oil, because, well, they are not exclusively fats, right? Uh, so here's the same. The, the pitfall of ESG rankings is the criteria they use. And they're a very audience-oriented purpose. And in law, I feel, if we consider it as a representation of some common will or order, uh, we should really aim for accuracy and kind of internal logic. Um, and with EU law, we should definitely consider the overarching aims of also fundamental rights and, and the fundamental values of the treaties and the charter as well. And... Um, yeah, arbitrary rankings that fall short of attaining these values and, and rights, including obviously public health or consumer protection, are uh, really missing the point. And uh, well, there are some other popular arguments out there uh, that would speak against sustainable finance. Mm -hmm. Some experts believe that sustainable investing actually inhibits climate action, regardless of whether it is based on standardised criteria or not. Some have called, it, uh, have called sustainable invest investing a dangerous placebo because it keeps at bay strict climate regulation while feeding us with yet another narrative in which all our problems are solved by the magically self-correcting free market. Uh, it's the point of criticism that the finance industry has sometimes even helped delay government action to combat climate change. Many entities in the financial sector are accused of lobbying heavily against the types of climate action that would arguably be even more helpful in the quest for sustainability than the current sustainable finance frameworks are. Uh, furthermore, coming back to the law as such, we are faced with another question, whether the nature of financial regulation has really changed. And to answer this question, it is necessary to compare the state of finance before ESG and afterwards. Uh, as I have already said at the very beginning of this episode, for a very long time, no one would have disputed that the main objectives of financial regulation are ensuring stability, market integrity, uh, and consumer protection. All these goals were then naturally pursued with the general objectives of economic policy in mind, that is the objectives such as promoting efficiency, competition, innovation uh, and ultimately uh, economic growth. Almost anyone would also then typically agree that in case of a conflict between those objectives, it is the stability objective that should prevail. Uh, nevertheless, 
if we look at the EU agenda on financial regulation, we can see that it is clearly dominated by uh, sustainable finance as of this moment, at least ever since uh, the European Commission's Sustainable Finance Action Plan of March 2018. Mm, okay, but you have to agree that it is not easy um, to balance such objectives, which, well, in my opinion, are in many ways contradictory. Um, to give an example, well, it, it may happen that some actions that can truly lead to more sustainable development, such as, for instance, environmental development, uh, development um, may require taking a step back that can lead to disruptions in economic stability. Um, for example, degrowth theory, uh, coined by, by Andre Gotz, explicitly identifies economic growth as an obstacle to true sustainability. So what if there are so many conflicting goals? Exactly. We must ask ourselves, what if, despite everything, there is a conflict between uh, the traditional objectives I have just listed and the sustainable considerations? Uh, luckily for this podcast, Professor Ferle Kolat, uh, the Professor of Financial Law at the Leuven University, has written a fascinating text on the changing nature of financial regulation and sustainable finance. Uh, the first conclusion she reached was that sustainable finance is no autonomous objective of financial regulation, at least not yet. Uh, even though sustainable finance does have the potential to become an autonomous objective uh, in the future, right now it seems to be more of a supporting objective for the traditional objectives of financial regulation. Such positioning has a significant impact on the approach towards the conflicts of objectives because it guides us that in a case of conflict uh, that traditional objectives of financial regulation most notably the stability of the financial system should prevail whereas the sustainable objectives should simply give way to them um, one might understandably argue that sustainable economy and a sustainable future for our planet should be given the highest priority. Still, according to Professor Kolat, we must keep in mind that the sustainable finance framework is just one of the tools in the legislator's toolbox to achieve uh, the ultimate goal of sustainability. Measures such as taxation, uh, environmental law, uh, product regulation uh, and labour law may each have an equal or even higher impact in this respect and be even more effective in achieving sustainability objectives. Meanwhile, the same is not true for the traditional objectives of financial regulation. Financial stability, market integrity and consumer protection are to be fostered first and foremost with financial regulation. As a consequence, even if achieving a sustainable economy is of highest urgency, this does not necessarily mean that sustainable finance should be given precedence at the expense of other objectives in case of a conflict. Uh, what is more, we must not forget that the traditional objectives of financial regulation, such as stability, market integrity uh, and consumer protection, are in themselves also fundamental to sustainable development. Oh yeah, um, I have one, once encountered the idea um, that sustainable finance like Pokemons um, has some levels of advancement. So level one is the uh, environmental social governance risk management, so the ESG. Then there is the evolution towards a sustainable impact investing and then leading towards impact first investing. And then finally, uh, sustainable philanthropy. That's uh, a very abstract level to me. And what I hear you saying is that um, current EU lawmaking is somewhere between level uh, one and two, stage one and two. So somewhere around uh, getting to the sustainable impact investing, uh, incentivizing uh, by profitable conditions for investment to really invest sustainably. In the taxonomy, we have the uh, environmental objectives uh, themselves also um, that need to be observed. And at least some must also be uh, improved for an activity to be considered uh, sustainable. But indeed, as you say, uh, financial regulations have many other uh, objectives 
and especially in the context of the EU, the, the market integrity will be quite of an important one, uh, obviously due to the, the treaties. The question is then to what extent will we be able in practice uh, to make the sustainable objectives to really prevail? Uh, the interest balancing is somewhat of a pitfall of the regulation, I think. Uh, but then again, uh, considering that a sustainable finance envisions that sustainable investment is more profitable uh, than not sustainable one, for instance, that the favorable uh, conditions for loans, then I, I kind of see uh, that the objectives uh, can uh, go together. Uh, that is a really a different situation than when we consider completely different conflicting uh, interests. Um, so sustainable finance takes kind of a different view, right? It's, it's not whether, uh, it is really how do we invest more green uh, when investment decisions are at hand and really are not contrary uh, to sustainability as a whole. Yeah, indeed, there is no need to be overly pessimistic. In the unlikely case of a possible conflict between uh, the objectives, a hard choice will probably not even be required. It might be possible to resolve the problem by using the cost-benefit analysis and um, designing balanced measures. Well, and most of the things you have said today show how sustainable finance is gaining popularity. Um, so is it a general um, global trend or maybe is there a particular event which, which gave rise to such a popularization? Uh, yes, I intended to show that sustainable investing is, in fact, gaining popularity at an accelerating pace. Uh, there is also mounting evidence that sustainable finance often offers better returns than its unsustainable counterpart uh, in response to your question. Uh, during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, more than 8 out of 10 sustainable investment funds performed better than the share portfolios not based on ESG criteria. Uh, there are truly multiple reasons why ESG-friendly investments perform better. Uh, firstly, uh, the changing consumer attitudes who, according to a global survey, are four to six times um, more likely to buy from a brand with a sustainable purpose. Uh, secondly, sustainable companies are more likely to win contracts uh, than uh, the unsustainable ones. Uh, for example, the carbon-intensive industries are turned away increasingly often. Mm, that's amazing. So we really have the theory behind us. We also have the status quo and... Uh, you've already kind of started to mention certain trends in practice, so maybe let's uh, wrap it all up with uh, some tentative predictions for uh, the future. Mm. Okay, so um, so according to what has been said, I I, I believe I, I agree with Hannah, and I believe that the future can indeed be promising with regards to sustainable fi finance. Um, however, I also agree that a crucial aspect is the adoption of very clear common definitions and measurements that outline what is considered considered sustainable and that ensure tangible benefits and real positive impact on the environment. Um, because this standardization, at, at, as was said by Hannah, simply plays a vital role in identifying projects that, that can prioritize the environment over pure profit. Um, so making sustainable finance not only then a valuable tool in the financial world, but most importantly, enabling it to fulfill its primary purpose rather than being used for, for instance, greenwashing. Um, and I am aware that we have recognized that um, the taxonomy intends to provide such objective criteria, but it still seems rather arbitrary that in, for example, SFDR, uh, leaves considerable discretion to private parties to interpret those taxonomy criteria and based on that, report on their own which of their actions are and are not considered to have an adverse impact on sustainability. And, you know, it is obvious that companies will not be eager to confess what the real impact of their actions is and thus describe their activities in a way that it will seem to comply with taxonomy criteria. Especially that, in my opinion, wording of many of its articles leaves a significant margin of interpretation. Mm, thus, it raises the question of whether such standardization can be effectively enforced. And in my view, not necessarily, even if there are EU bodies responsible for checking the correctness of such reports. Um, therefore, I believe that 
it becomes imperative to make these uniform and clear-cut obligations mandatory for all market participants and to engage more bodies that will objectively assess the company's reports and self-assessments. We can see that the EU is striving towards this path and despite there being many inconsistencies we talked about, uh, in my opinion it is going in the right direction. Um, I am only concerned additionally how the legislators will deal with you know the economic pressure imposed by the companies since as we said constant economic growth might not always go in hand in hand with the true positive impact on sustainability. Hmm. I don't know about lobbying but I believe that I can assuage your fears concerning the credibility of the reports to some extent. Uh, when it comes to the CSRD, it is crucial to note that the directive establishes an audit requirement for the submitted sustainability data. Uh, requiring, requiring the audit is supposed to ensure that the data is accurate and credible and not tampered with, as you seem to fear. Uh, the EU member states are obliged to extend the existing framework so as to enable public oversight uh, of such statutory auditors and audit companies. Uh, the EU also endorses uh, the establishment of a quality assurance review, uh, as well as an investigations and sanctions regime uh, for the auditors. Uh, within each and every company, uh, the individuals submitting Uh, the annual report, are required to confirm that the report is prepared in line with the CSRD standards. Otherwise, uh, in the case of an infringement, uh, sanctions and other measures will apply. Uh, A business guilty of not compliance with the CSRD can expect administrative sanctions uh, and three possible penalties. Uh, Firstly, a public denunciation, Uh, secondly, in order to change conduct, and uh, thirdly, financial punishment, whereby each separate EU member state uh, sets the penalty and defines the limits of sanctions within the particular jurisdiction. Similarly, uh, non-compliance with the SFDR can also have adverse consequences. As the SFDR contains no direct penalties for non-compliance, it will be up to each member state to oversee and ensure compliance. Still, even if there aren't any direct penalties for the non-compliance, it will be reckless of a company to risk it. Uh, Firstly, it might lead to reputational and financial damage, also known as name and shame. Secondly, non-compliance does in fact draw the attention of the local financial authorities and makes a disciplinary penalty more likely. And finally, great reputational damage is likely to be suffered as accusations of... Uh, okay. Similarly, not compliance with the SFDR can also have adverse consequences. As the SFDR contains no direct penalties for not compliance, it will be up to each member state to oversee and ensure compliance. Still, even if there aren't any direct penalties for the non-compliance, it would be reckless of a company uh, to risk it. Firstly, it might lead to reputational and financial damage, also known as name and shame. And secondly, non-compliance does in fact draw the attention of the local financial authorities and makes a disciplinary penalty more likely. Okay, I uh, I think I agree that uh, since sustainable finance is gaining popularity both among the investors and consumers and the EU is taking also action to harmonize uh, at least some standards uh, and there is also certain legal enforcement in place. Uh, so I think there is hope uh, for for sustainable finance to really have some impact on sustainability. Um, nevertheless, I uh, do not really sure uh, too much of optimism um, because I still see it more of a, a profit and interest 
concerned economic idea with uh, some legal ordering, but um, not necessarily, as Rob mentioned, the, the full um, mandatory um, participation. And as much as I support these also economic efforts towards sustainability, uh, taking into consideration the current interests uh, is really important as well for the companies. And I see um, that the regulations are supposed to somehow incentivize sustainability by better credit terms. I really still don't see how such audience targeting um, and labeling does not really lean somewhat towards greenwashing, uh, which is really kind of a way of just gaining sympathy uh, from consumers or others without that actual impact for the sustainability. Mm -hmm. uh, I cannot accept the entirety of your argument either. Greenwashing is exactly the type of risk that uh, sustainable finance regulations and the taxonomy counteract. Uh, the fight against greenwashing is why the taxonomy was created in the first place. Uh, the sustainable finance regulations define what the adjective sustainable means by specifying uh, precise conditions for being sustainable. If a company wants to access financial products available only to sustainable businesses, both the company and the financial institution offering the product will now uh, be able to use the same uh, uniform criteria to verify if the company is indeed sustainable. Uh, moreover, being verified as sustainable can then improve uh, the company's reputation. Uh, it is true that the mechanisms are by their very nature audience targeted, but this is a good thing. Uh, it is desirable because it encourages sustainability and integrates it into the financial system. Yeah, but I think what Zusa meant here, and uh, actually she shares my concerns, is that even if these assessment criteria are objective, um, they will still be used primarily by the market players, as you illustrated with the example of a bank and a company. And at the end of the day, these two actors will be primarily focused on making a profit. And I'm sure that they will find a way to stretch the definitions of sustainable activities in order to complete a particular transaction. Uh, sure, um, because we do want to, and I think we strive to, have regulations that will uh, keep greenwashing accounted for. And regulatory bodies should, I am totally with you here, uh, enforce sustainable practices. And I think that um, just domestically, uh, so I mean in the EU, considering the uh, increasing popularity of sustainable finance and sustainability being flagged by the EU as one of these issues that really need to remain central in policy making, the idea of changing the objective of finance from profit maximization to sustainable investing is really on point. Ensuring that actors are willing to take such actions and investment that in the long term remains sustainable, uh, especially um, not as the only measure existing, is also great. And importantly, we shall, uh, we shall really remain attentive uh, towards these standards and the definitions of that uh, sustainability. I think this should be our primary concern. And also, not to be so critical all the time, on the other hand, if we really consider EU and its actors internationally, and then if we consider uh, certain investment opportunities also internationally, so beyond the EU, and take into consideration uh, that, that really that, that kind of free market framework isn't really going anywhere any soon, I am even more confident in accepting that sustainable finance uh, may provide great opportunities for more uh, sustainability. Um, trading and investment relations um, between EU and emerging uh, markets uh, is, is especially important here because these relations exist uh, regardless of whatever I do. And if we take certain articles of the taxonomy uh, itself, like six, eight or or nine, then we really will see that it does make sense for non-EU companies to adopt a reporting system that will be uh, similar to the one that we have in the taxonomy to then make EU investors simply more likely and uh, happy and willing to invest to get the uh, better conditions and to get all the benefits that stem from being flagged as a sustainable investment.
but why do you think so? I think I agree, but but could you elaborate on that? Um, well, so if if we take a step back, so we go away from the um, I, I'll go back to the Pokemon things. So the step one to the ESG uh, factors. Uh, the ESG have a really great importance for the emerging markets. And so um, ensuring that these are met uh, is for them often a goal in itself, because environmental risk exposures can lead to large losses for firms. Um, and also the climate change can entail losses for financial institutions, asset owners, firms. Um, if you look at uh, uh, IMF or um, a study by uh, uh, Karanin, you will see that losses in the event of a natural uh, disaster can even lead to bankruptcy in the emerging markets. And then we add inequality or political instability to that, uh, which are definitely not in the interest of investors, um, since they will cause social unrest and instability. And that was the, the social factor. And then we go to the governance, um, where governance failures at banks and corporations have really contributed significantly to past financial crisis. So are, they are definitely unwanted. You can see that by looking at the global um, financial crisis in 2008. So sustainable finance has the stability and longevity of finance as its really underlying goal and principle at the same time. Um, but there are studies uh, contesting this. If you look at uh, and the study from 2021 by, by uh, Elmolt and others, I, you will see that they argue that it was more of a greenwashing situation also in the emerging markets. Uh, with not really such a great impact as envisioned. So we should kind of be careful with jumping to conclusions on, on causation, even if we see certain positives at hand. Um, but since sustainable finance is really about attaining certain objectives, and that does not necessarily mean all of them at the same time, it just means without prejudice to all of them, it makes me kind of um, easier to think about sustainable finance and traditional finance, not in terms of a set of rules, uh, but kind of as objectives or principles. So that's not necessarily how it is, but just to make an analogy, that would mean that it's okay for them to clash. Um, although as we, we see, it's quite likely that they would, but even if they did clash, it would not make them unattainable, but simply subject to that balancing uh, of various interests and their significance in the current moment and for the concerned actors. So then again, uh, if a firm engages in sustainable finance, then they are held accountable for how, um, how they do that. Uh, the sustainable finance regulations are kind of, to me, a supportive measure towards transitioning to green economy. Um, it is not mandatory to engage in that. Uh, so there is not uh, an overarching duty towards current and future societies. And maybe maybe just as a reminder, our last conclusions um, from the last episode on the implementation of rights of nature were that in our at least quasi-capitalist societies uh, in Europe and our Western ideological property-driven legal system uh, inspired by this Lockean liberalism, implementing an idea that property of the environment should not exist and the environment, the nature, should be treated as personified itself. This was um, this is almost impossible to implement now um, if it's considered as competing with, with profit. Market participants, big actors, influential actors do not want to be accountable for harm caused to the environment, and it is not possible to pinpoint one guilty actor in our current legal system, or at least it's, it's very difficult. So it's kind of a collective set of actions that, that is faulty. So I kind of worry that if we leave the idea of sustainable finance as a voluntary principle like, it is not going to work out as well as it really could. Uh, if, uh, just as also Robert mentioned, if it were really considered obligatory to participate in for all. So if it were kind of a value overarching others. Uh, what if it does not really bring responsibility and accountability and will really become just another tool stuck in the willingness or lack of willingness of various actors and then their responsibility uh, for taking appropriate decisions. I see your point and sadly I also think that your concerns are not unjustified. Um, yet, 
as we do not want to end the episode on a pessimistic note, uh, we should also remind ourselves of the many reasons for optimism, however cautious, about uh, the sustainable finance regulations. I hope to have shown that the legislative trend is clear and it does not look like the pace of development of um, sustainable finance regulation will slow down anytime soon. Uh, at least within uh, the EU, the taxonomy helps to create consensus about what can be described as sustainable and this is an essential step uh, in the direction of a greener Europe. All right, dear listener, thank you so much for listening to another episode of our podcast, Legally Green. If you enjoyed listening to our discussion, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button as well as rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye.